What's up, everybody? Are you tuning in to the Challenge USA on CBS? Well, tune in to me, Tyson Apostle, as I break down each and every episode with my co-host, Amelia Wedemeyer. I'm also a contestant on the show, which gives you all the insider scoop. Amelia, how stoked are you to do this? Tyson, I'm freaking excited. I cannot wait to sit my butt down every single week to watch the show, then come here and recap it with you on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, he's got all the great God Butcher recommendations for New York City. It's Andy you mean like where you can go and get like heritage god cuts? Yeah, like canters, you know? Oh, oh, like, like the people like, who've been <laughs> smoking, smoking god tongue for a really long time. You can get it on rye. That's right, my guy. What's up? It's great to see you. I saw you last night. We went to La Kenyatta and saw Thor Love and Thunder. And we're going to be talking about it today on a podcast. Just a couple of pals in their 40s having a little hump day date. It was great. I- I spilled an entire bucket of popcorn on you. You were just in a blanket of popcorn the entire time we were watching. There was a moment when the popcorn rained down upon me where I, <laughs> my first reaction, I, I I really appreciate you saying blanket because I was, at no moment was I upset. No, it was weirdly, it was, there was no butter in it, yeah. But it was weirdly comforting for a second. You know, I felt cared for. And then yeah. we we restored the horizontal balance levels of the popcorn chalice, and there was no no noticeable depreciation of popcorn. That's how much we no, got. That you you got the the jumbo size, Andy. Today we're going to talk about Thor. We're going to talk about the Emmy noms, and uh, we thought we'd get get into this with a little bit of news. So the bear has been renewed for a second season. I think you and I had a feeling this was going to be happening. Uh, this is obviously, I think, your favorite show of 2022 so far, and and my second. Favorite show. Uh, and who knows? That could change. Feelings change. Takes change. But um, I thought that this series or this season of television ended in like almost as perfect a way as you can end a show. Because on one hand, if they were like, we never get to make another ep- episode of this show, I was like, that is an incredibly satisfying meal. I'm going to go have some cognac. But it had the absolutely tantalizing hint of what could come next. And I think it actually could be as satisfying, you know, you're never going to forget your first experience with this show and you're never going to forget the first run through these characters in this specific moment in their lives. But I think the next version of the show could be just as interesting. It, for, with, with, 
I agree with you. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to say that I think, you know, as you know, I'm a big fan of the audio entertainment on the Ringer Podcast Network. This is the second cognac reference I think you've made in the last two weeks. And did I do that on the rewatchables? Or on a, an NBA show, but or a Bill's show, but you you're not a a pray dinner postprandial kind of guy, as far as I know. Do you like to have like a digestif? Wait a second. You do, didn't I talk to you about a Morrow summer last oh, year? Yeah, that was you, but that was last summer. And no, that it was kind of it was kind of more in the in the true. You're, you're true so right. By the way, I forgot trenches yeah. of the pandemic, and I started just being like, I guess I'm going to try this Alpino, which is just yes. like made yes. out of pine needles from Turin, and I'm just going to power through it. Let me well, tell you something. That yeah. will digest some stuff for you. Well, that was the thing during the pandemic when it was just like you had to find new directions to begin happy hours in because nothing was happy. So it was like, it's 5 p.m. somewhere, but then you could also be like, finish dinner and be like, it's 5 a.m. somewhere. Yes. So I might and as then, well. Okay, or I would right. like rush through dinner, which would be like Annie's mac and cheese just to get to this teeming giant goblet of Amaro that I was going to ingest. I really and then watch like things on Instagram for five hours. That was a dope time in America this, and, and oh, in, the, in the world. There's a versus battle. <laughs> let, me, let me let me top up my chalice. Um, sorry, everyone. Yes, I, your point is exactly right. Like there, this was no surprise that the show was going to get renewed. Frankly, it was such a success in and of itself in terms of you know delivering on just an incredible quality season. I think it would have been renewed anyway. I think that from what we've heard, um, you know, uh, out of that, you know, in back channels and stuff that like FX was very happy with how this went. They were delighted with the result. And this would have been something that they would have easily pulled the trigger on investing in for a second season, regardless. Then it is a phenomenon. And now a phenomenon means something different in TV in 2022 than it did in TV in 2018 or in the movies at any time in the last 50 years. But it has broken through in a way that is just nearly impossible to do at this moment. Um, and so it was always going to get renewed at this point. So it wasn't a surprise. But I think your point is the most important one just to, to note here before we move on to other topics, which is it is a first course more than it is a first season. It is a season that takes eight episodes to get to a different starting point. You know, we don't really, and again, it's so well constructed. You have Carmi's kind of weird vision quest bear in a cage on the bridge thing early and you understand that that's his nickname but why the show is called the bear is not made evident until the very last moments of season one so here we go it 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 did the thing that I admire so much it it told a story where it would have been enough it would have been my number one show of the year if it was billed as a limited series if it was canceled um my number one up to this point but I'm so thrilled that it's not going to be it's really exciting um Speaking of shows, I, well, I don't know why I just said it that way. <laughs> I hey, really have no segue. It's a podcast. Also in the news today <laughs> mm. is, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, which mm -hmm. I think has been, I guess from my perspective, a little, a little boxed out of the paint by House of the Dragon, which I think is intentional um, on HBO's part to put House of the Dragon so close to Lord of the Rings and to have the kind of anticipation around the return of Game of Thrones happening at the same time with this, you know, huge, huge bet by Amazon to go all in on on the the Lord of the Rings as a TV franchise. And Lord of the Rings had been like teasing. They, they had sent out, you know, posters. They had done um, a couple of short teasers or shorter trailers for the show. Today, at least, I saw the one that is the most significant amount of Lord of the Rings kind of like, here's what this is going to be about. And it largely focuses on Galadriel, the the elf. Um, 
I do, I want to ask you, so like, you know, and there's hardfoots, which are, I guess, like hobbits, but aren't, I, I have to admit, I'm not like a really well-versed in this. I read this last time we talked about this, that this is a, they're like a precursor race to hobbits. But I was just wondering, is there some sort of IP uh, like litigation or argument about what they can and can't reference in this show? I don't believe so. I think they have full reign of the Tolkien verse. Okay, so, so this I think isn't like one of those from... like Spider Man things, but Spider Man can't be in it sort of deals. Like, no. Sidebar. Do you remember? Um, no one will ever believe me. This is one of those things that sounds like a fever dream. But do you remember when there was a Ghostbusters TV show that didn't have the Ghostbusters character IP? And so then there was a, there was there was two rival Ghostbuster cartoons. One was called the Real Ghostbusters, and it had like you know cartoon versions of like Venkman and Slimer. And there was another one called like Ghostbusters, and it was just dudes busting different ghosts. But was it different dudes? Different dudes, because I were think they, there was some like were they rights also issue. rooted in science and the Academy. No, but weirdly they got the facial rights to other less popular Saturday Night Live alums. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was like Charles Rocket, like Garrett Morris, and like... Garrett Morris. No, I, that part's not true. But Google this. The controversy of the Ghostbusters cartoons of the 80s. I mean, this used to mess with us. Um, Look, I know I can go to the OneRing.net and find all this out. Yeah. I'm not trying to be. Uh, I'm not trying to be dismissive. I was just wondering whether or not, because like there is like a lot of Sauron stuff happening in this yeah. trailer, but they never say the S word. Well, I think that's also you're speaking to the creative dilemma at the heart of these IP expanding. Um, not properties, projects, right? Which is, look, let me let me take one step back. I am... How far back? Because this is a, an expansive history. <laughs> it's a great you know? point. I am very upfront here with you guys. I'm nothing if not honest. I am uh, not a Hobbit guy. I enjoyed those. I never read the books. I enjoyed the Peter Jackson movies once each and have never, uh, for a moment of not my life, have never guy. once in my life had any desire to revisit a frame of those movies. Now, that's probably my loss. Like, I, I did like them. I really did like them, but I it's never occurred to me to watch them again. One of my favorite things to do on, on an international flight I've heard this. Yeah. yeah. Just let, let him ride. There's certain hallmarks of also of the Chris Ryan at home in Philly experience that, that don't involve uh, yinglings at Belgian pubs, but that like your mom's chicken salad, like some Lord of the Rings rewatch. You know, this is this is some deep canon stuff. She loves him. Yeah. So um, I don't have any of that. But I thought this trailer that dropped today, which is, you know, much longer than I thought. I, I There's no reason for them to be abstemious anymore, but I didn't know they were going to drop the two minute 40 uh, mother load. It's beautiful. This looks like the most expensive show ever made. It may well be. And that is also part of the intention is to shock and awe. But what's curious about it to me is I was swept up in it. And I was like, this is very impressive. And it looks beautiful. And it looks considered and it looks grounded in the thing that people love about this stuff. I do think and this is also a choice, they are selling a world and a vibe. And one thing that I think is I don't want to say it's smart yet because we haven't seen the results, but I think it's noteworthy about the way HBO is marketing House of the Dragon, the way they're beginning to communicate it, and even what we know about the show, is that I think they are really committed to marketing it and communicating it as a specific story. Not, hey guys, remember this place with the crazy sword throne? We're back. But like these blonde-haired lunatics and their dragons and their relationship and their story. So they are in the business, as HBO has always been, of marketing a specific television show, not a feel, a vibe, an expanded IP universe. Amazon is in a different position with this because this has never been a TV show and they also haven't really done this type of thing before. They're selling something macro. 
And, mm-hmm. and it's working. I am not necessarily, you know, I, I didn't know I was in the market for this, but I'm now paying attention and I'm interested. But I do think ultimately all of these things, and it's it's a it's a challenge that Disney is running into over and over again with the Marvel and the Star Wars stuff is ultimately you have to have people become fans of a specific television show, not just hanging out with something that has a familiar bumper at the top. Yeah, to and, and the feeling like that your... you're getting a sneak preview for something that's coming next. Um, I... I'm 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 very curious about this. There's it's funny that you mentioned that it looks amazing and that it looks like the most expensive television show ever made, which may, maybe it is. And I, I don't. I think they had to pay a lot for the rights. They had yeah, to pay all a lot in it to, might be to build the world. I don't know on episode to episode basis. You know, you, you prorate these things. I you know, you, you Hill, Hill, Street, Hill Street Blues was very expensive for the time. You know, if we <laughs> just don't know how to amortize. Um, I I do feel like. I can't get past the feeling that it's like walking through a, a, a sophomore dorm and some kid's got a, a a poster of an elvish land up on his wall. And no matter how good it looks, I always feel that way, you know? And I I think I still have some residual scar tissue from that era of my life. Hold on. Let me let me just run this back. When we're when we're watching the biopic, the period piece drama, Chris, are you the kid with the Elvish poster, or are you the kid wearing the hardcore T-shirt walking past the, that room, no. being like dorks? I'm I'm walking by. I look like Rooster in Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, "What's up, nerds? Want a bud? Thick like, mustache? Uh-huh. Yeah, right. <laughs> you knew me back then. You knew what I was like. Yeah, you were. But so I. But I just want to. You know, make I wasn't. Cr- I didn't have any elf posters. You know. You know at least that much about me. I, I mean, you led a very mysterious life. I don't know. I, I, I wanted to make it clear for our listeners, like, are you saying that it still has the, like, vague whiff of the Games Workshop store? It's at that 3 no matter how good it looks, it still is that. Oh, yeah. You know I, I mean, mean, right. And, 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 and I and felt that way watching Thor, too. I was like, this might be the most amazing rendition of Zeus's palace, but, like, it still looks like, it still looks kind of, like, cheap to me. Well, yes, I wanted to speak to that, and we'll and we'll 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 also make that that um, Bifrost bridge a little more clear when we talk about Thor. But like, my segues lo- are off today. I'm sorry. This, this is this show looks beautiful. It looks beautiful in a way that is complementary to my memory and familiar for what these things quote should look like. And I am having an issue. And again, we'll we'll punt this mostly to the Thor conversation, though. Of I don't really know what I'm looking at anymore with these fantasy made up. CGI worlds. I, I I don't, I can't orient myself in the landscape anymore. And I don't feel, and they keep me at arm's length. And I can't tell if it's because the same 18 uh, uh, CGI houses spread out across the Pacific Basin are like working on this, these <laughs> concurrently, or if it's because none of them innovate. They're like, okay, like put on your fantasy scrim or put on your Marvel scrim. Like they all, each one now looks in the same visual uh they're all in the same wheelhouse or if it's just like give me give me something tactile you know give me i mean we'll we'll keep pointing to it but dune was special for many reasons but one of the reasons was it was plenty of cgi but it felt it, it felt sandy it felt like that yeah. actually had some like elements affect yeah it. and i just am you know this isn't fair. We're we're just riffing off a trailer now. This show could really be beautiful. Yeah, and I'm actually. And I, 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 I want to. I think I, I agree with you. I was like, this looks really good. Uh, I'll watch this. There was a world in which this was kind of closer to foundation, and I was like, this is not going to be for me. But I'm very curious about it. Um, 
let's get to the top of of what we wanted to talk about. So it was like I said, a little bit of a two two parts of a conversation. We want to talk about Emmys. We want to talk about Thor. Um, Emmys came out Tuesday morning. Uh, I have a couple of like broad stroke comments that okay. I thought All I right. thought that the nominations, while by and large, a not very surprising, b uh, not bad. I, I didn't think that they were perfect by any means, but I think given what you ha- you have to understand like what the Emmys are. The Emmys are not a top 10 list. The Emmys are not um, going to always satisfy your critical opinion. And the Emmys are kind of broken in a couple of different places. That's why the entire cast of Ted Lasso gets nominated for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, a, a category or whatever it is. You know, like you there, this is for, if, if you watch the Emmys for like the 10 previous years when Modern Family was just running the table or, or the shows would just rack up nominations. This shouldn't really be a surprise, but I think what we're seeing right now is a little bit of a breaking point. And I wanted to start the conversation here. We've chatted chatted casually before about like, are we sure the Emmy shouldn't happen twice a year? You know, and that the idea that that would necessarily dilute the importance of uh, winning one, maybe uh, that they already throw so many resources behind the four-year consideration campaigns and the the promotional campaigns to get people these Emmy nominations and to say, you know, Emmy nominated Mrs. Maisel and all that stuff or Emmy winning Mrs. Maisel, like that's important to these places. And would it, if it happened twice a year, could you even do that? Would people even care? I don't know. I'm not here to solve that problem. But I don't think that one award show can capture the state of an industry that's creating 400 scripted shows a year. Uh, and it was one thing when the networks had a season and then they took the summer off. And that's why the window is what it is, where it's like up to May 31st and then after June 1st. That's based on the traditional television network season. I just don't think White Lotus should be competing against We Own the City in any well, kind of... It, he wasn't. <laughs> well, it in didn't because We Own the City didn't get nominated. But White Lotus is a really good example of both a show that came out last year and is not a limited series. <laughs> and it was yeah. nominated for limited series in 2022. I, I get it, but I also feel like, look, like White Lotus came out last summer in a less cynical time, if that's hard to believe. But like when White Lotus came out, they didn't try to fit it into the Emmy window. They just put it out. If they wanted it to be the Emmy juggernaut that it was, and wanted to get like 20 nominations you would make the argument that they would have released it at a different time in the calendar year, like closer to voting, like January, February. Um, the fact that it still dominated speaks to how popular and in, in, enduring its appeal uh, was. You know, similarly, like We Own the City, like it didn't need to come out in April or May. Like it, they, they put it out in the, once again, uh, foolish hopes that someone in the Academy might watch a show with David Simon's name attached to it, which has never been the case, clearly will never be the case. And you can make the argument that why try? Why you could have gotten more eyeballs if you put it out right now when there's less competition. Um, so well, I, I or that s- might be a show that people need time to catch yes, up with. Because it is, once it, pe- I think when you watch the first episode and it's jumping around time, time shifting, you're like, what is this? And this is really dense. And I, I have 15 other things I'm watching. I think especially for Academy voters, that's the case. You can make the case exactly that it, it's it, it's not doing the show any favors to expect people to cram it um, when it is not really a, a easily crammed to highly fibrous, dense show. It doesn't it doesn't benefit it. I am going to take the opposite tack and say, I think the Emmys does better than any other major awards uh, 
organization or show in terms Such of... Such an industry guy. Well, I just think it does a pretty remarkable job of, you know, an it. It's a hydra. It's not a single entity, yeah. but the voting... Uh, community en masse does a pretty decent job of throwing its arms around as many decent and worthwhile things as possible. Um, there's always going to be things left out. There are always going to be things that are overlooked. But every year I find myself looking over the list and just the the volume of it and being like, that's a lot of really, a lot of excellence uh, in many categories that, that, are, that, are being, that are being celebrated. So, you know, the headlines that I think people know about already um, HBO and HBO Max absolutely dominated. Um, it led by Succession with 25 nominations. Look, who, who are you guys listening to? That's deserved. White Lotus had 20. Uh, I also think it's by and large deserved. Hacks got 17. I, yeah, I, and I was using thrilling. White Lotus not as an example of a show that doesn't deserve to be nominated, but as a show that where I'm like, I don't, this doesn't make sense to me that this was in the same sort of time zone as the other shows, but go, go I, keep going. I, I do want to go through some of the categories and just briefly like talk about things that were celebrated. Do you want to start though? Um, I want to start with, it's interesting. Maybe this is just the, the, the nature of the media landscape, but I think people prefer talking snubs before they even talk about what was celebrated. So there are a couple things that I wanted to run through, if you don't mind, that, uh, that, that stuck out to me. Um, the headline, at least as far as this podcast is concerned, judging by some of the feedback that I got uh, when the Emmy nominations were released, was people were like, Station Eleven got snubbed. Uh, what is wrong with this industry? Why is everything broken? I'm going to stop you there and say, I don't think that's the case. So Station Eleven was our number one show of last year. It, I'm proud to say that. I, I love it. I think about it all the time. I think it's a towering achievement. Um, our buddy Patrick Somerville, creator, showrunner, was feeling pretty pessimistic about his chances because that category of limited series was absolutely stacked, right? And so I don't, I, I'm sure his heart fell a little bit and I'm sure um, a lot of people who were just scanning the, the major headlines were pretty disappointed when they saw that Station Eleven, the series, was not nominated for best uh, limited series. The, the nominees were um, Dope Sick on Hulu, which I really didn't have any particular time for, despite Rosario being wonderful in it. The Dropout on Hulu, which I thought was pretty good. Um, the White Lotus on HBO, which I thought was excellent. Pam and Tommy on Hulu, which I thought was not especially good. And Inventing Anna on Netflix, which was LOL. And you look at that list, and yeah, Station Eleven is better than everything there. It is, it, you know, the, the the biggest argument you could make is that maybe it's on par with the White Lotus. The White Lotus was very popular in a way Station Eleven wasn't um, in terms of viewership. But here's the thing, guys. Go dip down below the fold. Station Eleven got six or seven nominations. It got Patrick for writing, got Hiro Murai for directing, it got Himish Patel for acting, David Eisenberg for editing, Dan Romer for score. The cinematographer was nominated. Like, that means that people in the industry who care about these things and know the names and know the work that goes into something, they noticed, they saw it. And I'll always be of the opinion that it's cooler to be the movie that snags the best original screenplay Oscar and loses best picture. I mean, the Pulp Fiction style, right? The best stuff rarely wins the biggest trophies. It, it's not, you, we saw that show and we know how good it is and we don't need the industry to be like, you know, it's Pam that's, and Tommy That's my this. feeling about the Emmys in general. I also think that it's, like I was saying earlier about the modern family thing, it's really hard to understand, I think, from the outside. And, and I, that's where I consider myself is on the outside looking at this and, uh, and grasp the staying power that things have once they have racked up some nominations yes, when they're a returning series. And so 
Maisel, which I know still delights a lot of people. I, I haven't really watched, I don't think, in two seasons or so. Uh, still is a routinely, like, almost, like, pencil it in. Maisel's going to be nominated for Best Comedy. You know, uh, Rachel Brosnahan's going to be nominated. Tony Shalhoub's going to be nominated. Like, that that show has, like, solidified and and somewhat calcified within the minds of voters. And I, I don't know, I don't have an explanation for it, but it's impossible to then pry it out almost. Go ahead. I think I think of it as a healthy reminder, both to us and hopefully to some degree to the industry at large, that we are the outliers here. You and I on this podcast, um, our listeners, um, sorry, you and me on this podcast. Don't blame me. I voted for Yellowstone. You know what well, I mean? I was surprised Yellowstone wasn't there. Um, that that really was a surprise to me. But but the people, like if you looked at our mid-season list or our top 10 list that we do with Sam, we've been commenting about how it's their majority new series or new event series every year. And that is the currency that we trade in even on this podcast, right? I think the Emmy nominations year to year are an important benchmark and reminder that the majority of TV voters, viewers, and in this case, voters, watch it differently than we do. And a lot of people still watch TV the way they always did, which is, oh, good, my stories are back. They think of TV as an ongoing conversation with something that is excellent over time. And I think that it's worth noting that the Emmys continue to reward ongoing series, not necessarily broadcast series, because it was notable that This Is Us, um, which had for the last few years cracked cable and streaming's dominance on the big awards, um, that, that it didn't make it for its farewell season. But just that people want things that they know already, and I, they really value the ability to continue to tell a story and find something new to say. And I, I support that. I support that, even while I no longer watch Mrs. Maisel. Any other specific categories that you wanted to hit? Um, yeah, well, I had a couple other snubby things that I wanted to say. Like, I, I don't, I assume, I don't think David Simon's made peace with anything, but I, I think that he's not surprised when his shows don't get nominated. You know, The Wire never really was either. Yeah. Um, John Bernthal not being nominated is borderline criminal. Um, and a little surprising only because he is famous. And the Emmys used to go out of their way to at least consider famous, is he famous? shows. But I yes. feel like I've been like I, I feel like I've started to have cold water thrown on me because I think I because of the of We on the City and the Bear, and I'll be like, Bernthal is essentially like Paul Newman, and people are like, Who is is that the guy? Yeah, it, who is you're that right. guy? He's not famous. He is uh charismatic, and that may change in terms of his larger fame. But I it is a very, very telling sign of what's happened over TV, just radical transformation over the last 10 years that, you know, I, you and I still remember that if a single person who had been in a movie guest starred on a sitcom as a joke, they would get an Emmy. And then like the room would give them a standing ovation. This year, Julia Roberts and Sean Penn top-lined a historical miniseries produced by our buddy Sam, and they did not get nominated. Yeah, I mean, Anne Hathaway didn't get nominated for We Crashed, which was, I thought, you know, I didn't love or... I mean, I actually really didn't like Recrash, Recrash that much, but she is quite something in that show. I mean, like, the, she, it was it was definitely, like, Emmy material. Yeah, speaking of Emmy material, Emmy Rossum uh, willed, you know, along with many other talented people, including Maybe my friend Allison. Maybe today. You're really uh, killing it. I, I, I had a good coffee this morning, but, like, Emmy, whether your mileage may vary on Angeline, which is on Peacock, and your ability to watch Peacock may vary due to, the, you know, as evidenced by their lower subscription numbers, but Emmy was incredible in that show. I mean, it is a, 
transformative performance. And, you know, it would have been nice to see that recognized. Um, Reservation Dogs, you know, is, there's no version of that where that's not one of the most successful first seasons in recent memory. And, you know, we're super hyped for the second season. Um, So I I guess it's not a surprise. It's not a snub that that show wasn't recognized, but man, it would have been nice to see it celebrated. Although I think that's I was salty not to see Pachinko nominated. I'm I'm hoping that Pachinko is one of those shows that they do the sort of planned multi-season saga that they're that that they're sort of alluded to. I would love to see that kind of become one of those shows that people catch up with and people, um, you know, that eventually becomes more of a dependable award winner. But uh, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about the show from Apple that did get shows from Apple that did get nominated. And I'm very happy for Severance, but it's funny when something gets nominated and it's like. I guess I understand what you guys were thinking, but did you actually watch the show? So I did watch Morning Show Season 2. And Reese Witherspoon is not the lead character in this show. She is barely... I wouldn't say barely in it, but she is very much like on the side compared to what Jennifer Aniston does. And also, to some extent, what Billy Crudup does in in terms of like uh, lead performances. And it was interesting to see her get nominated for uh, lead performance in a drama. I So I guess... Glover's acting nom is for this past season of Atlanta. Yeah. He's not really in the show that much. Barely in it. Barely I would say in probably it. Brian Tyree Henry was the lead in terms of that core group of the of the ensemble, right? Without question. I mean, I think that so much of the season was about negotiating with fame, including the fame of the show and the fame of the multi-hyphenate who's responsible for the show. And so when Earn is on screen, I mean, Earn didn't have that much drama you know what i mean or or comedy he was just sort of around and i'm always happy to see him he had some great scenes but yeah he's not no that's right i mean that is just familiarity bias and and, and giving people something that they that, that 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 they like um i'm not mad at it i think he should get many awards and recognition but i thought that was surprising um that said atlanta was not nominated for best comedy series which i thought was interesting yeah um, i thought that was interesting too and one other person that I wanted to shout out, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. So one of the best things I saw last year, we barely talked about it because I think we watched it at different times, was the Gerard Carmichael special. Um, Rathaniel, which, yeah. Rathaniel, which many people have watched and you know was was rapturously received, deservedly so. It got two nominations, Bo Burnham for directing it and Gerard for writing it. Is there a version where it would have gotten something else? Like best, what, what, what other, because I was like, did he get snubbed? But how do you celebrate a stand-up special? I don't know. I don't know why Bowen Yang is nominated for Saturday Night Live in comedy, right? Yes. Well, Saturday Night Live cast members have broken through in the last few years. And Cecily Strong has been nominated. Kate McKinnon is nominated every I year. Don't, I mean, like, I think Bowen Yang's great on Saturday Night Live. I just don't, I don't know. You start to get into that, well, then why not Gerard Carmichael for his performance in Ruthaniel, which is in still a, it's still a performance, right? Yeah, or is it just, but is it a television movie? I just don't even know what, what you put it in. But obviously getting writing when you're the writer and performer, that's that seems like the similar thing. I just thing. think that what we've discovered is that when it comes to the Emmys, I'm a progressive and, and you're a blue dog. You're just oh. a, an incremental centrist who who's like, you know what, they get it right more than they get it wrong. I'm an institutionalist. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm like, let's, nine justices has worked you know what and i mean i'm just like cancel this student debt dog let's start from this let's let's all go back to zero <laughs> you are a thought leader in this industry um let's go through a couple categories before we move on oh just one other note 
on Monday's show, we were talking about how Anthony Starr deserves some Emmy recognition for his performance on The Boys. Did The Boys the, get nominated the, at the all? Bo- the Boys wasn't uh, eligible. The Boys debuted three days after the um, the window closed. So that that was why. The Boys, and you like, know what? The Boys yeah. probably had like clearer sailing because of when it aired because all these other shows had tried to catch the Emmy nom. Yeah, and I and I and and they're you know much more complicated internal conversations than this. But Amazon needs that show on every summer, but also their marketing team like needed a break. Like it's just not going to work for that to happen. And also, White Lotus was on last summer and got nominated, so The Boys is really popular. It doesn't mean it won't be nominated next year. It does mean if they were able, if they've able, if they've been able to, as I think they have, iron out the COVID wrinkles, The Boys season four might premiere Memorial Day weekend. And just so wink, wink, we're we're in the mix again. You know, but but who knows? Okay, so a couple things. Let's just run through the drama series stronger than I think in past years, you know, in the sense that last year I was like, what is a TV drama? Do we know what it is? This year feels a little more firm to me. Um, and again, that's because a bunch of the things I'm about to say weren't there last year because of COVID. So this year it's it's Better Call Saul, Euphoria, Ozark in its final season, Severance in its first season, Squid Game, Stranger Things, Succession, Yellow Jackets. The big yellow surprise jackets to me is, probably being yellow jackets. Yeah. Yellow I, jackets. And that's phenomenal. Like I loved yellow jackets and that's such a great look for that show. Yeah. And you know, again, this is not like rooting for the bobsled team from Jamaica. Like this is still, you know, a, 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 this is a multi-million dollar enterprise with famous actors in it with one of the major media companies behind it. It's not but Hoosiers. You, yeah. But you do th- it it is an underdog in the sense that you know we know you talk to the creators like the the road to get this on the air let alone to success was a very long and not at all a short one and then to have this kind of recognition i do love those moments even though i didn't fall in love with the show um i the other thing is that squid game when you said pachinko got snubbed i agree and i was like it's because it's because the uh, subtitles are a barrier for entry and, and then, then squid, squid game, game dominates it's it's really more the subject matter and the the tone, you know. Um, but what a what a come up for that show. I mean, not just being the global phenomenon, but like recognized up and down the board. We won't have time to get into every category, but all the performers, mm-hmm. um, including in the guest performing category, I don't have her name in front of me, but that amazing actress who plays who has like a three episode arc in the middle. Um, she's nominated. The old man is nominated. That was cool. Um, but don't you feel like? Do you feel more at ease when these like like Succession has won in the past? It's going to win again. I'm pretty certain. But Severance is going to have a multi-year run. Ozark is finishing a multi-year run. Better Call Saul is finishing a multi-year run. Euphoria is on a multi-year run. Like, don't you feel like a little more firm ground under your feet with these longer running shows showing up? For sure. Yeah, it's really nice. And I think I think it's interesting. You know, like I would say that I, as a huge Ozark fan, felt like this season was a decided step down from the heights of season three. That doesn't necessarily mean everybody agrees with me or that you shouldn't recognize it for its totality of its if it, its accomplishment. And that, you know, I mean, some people might thought might have thought season four was was particularly good. Um, it does feel cool to have a couple of shows that are are still punching heavy in their in their second, third, fourth season, fifth, sixth in the case of Saul. Uh, I just think. I just think that sometimes that those things just get kind of like mechanical, you know? And so while I, it's like, so for instance, without being, I don't mean this in a, a mean way towards any individual performer, but when you highlight the entire cast of Ted Lasso, is it really any kind of distinction? Well, or the entire cast of Succession and White Lotus. I mean, there's one category that is 
80% White Lotus, right? Supporting actress in a, in a limited series or, or, or actress in a limited series. Is that we'll, Connie we'll Britton's character? Connie uh, Britton, Natasha Rothwell, Jennifer Coolidge, Sidney Sweeney, Alexander Daddario, all nominated, all in the same category. That's really um, cool. It, it's super cool, but you're right in that it does crowd out opportunities to have more representation from other shows in some of these categories, but that's also the nature of it. They, they don't do ensemble awards, and maybe they should consider it. Um, I, I just have this feeling, and again, maybe this is the, the, the particular um, potency or grind of the Cortado I had this morning, but I'm, I just remember the last few years doing this exact pod with you, looking over the list, and feeling like, it's got a lot of B-minuses. You know, and Succession is an A plus, but yeah. not this year. I, I look at the drama category that we just said, and I look at the comedy series. So the comedy nominees are Abbott Elementary, Barry, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Hacks, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Only Murders in the Building, Ted Lasso, What We Do in the Shadows. It's fantastic. It's a fantastic lineup, and it, it like it helps me understand. Oh, I kind of get what comedy on TV is right now. Those shows are not all the same by any stretch. But I get that now in the same way that I kind of get what drama is now. I felt like there was kind of a lack of definition where people were just throwing stuff at the wall. And the real action was in the limited series category. And it feels like the pendulum has swung back a little bit with these shows that, look, Abbott Elementary, on my midseason best of, we adore it, um, you know, in the tradition of The Office and Modern Family, the only and the only broadcast net show nominated for the any of the three major uh, series awards. Um, has very little to do with barrier curb enthusiasm, but I'm so grateful for all three shows. I love that Only Murders in the Building, a show that I think is absolutely wonderful medium feeling, and what we do in the shadows, which is just I we still don't even know how to talk about it because it's probably the funniest show on TV, but it's just low key in itself, you know, and that that just gets represented every year. It's I, I'm very bullish on this for some reason. I have a very good feeling about it. I want to end this by asking you off the top of your head. Uh-huh. Give me a shocking prediction. Ooh. A shocking prediction? Yeah. Um, I haven't considered a shocking prediction because one thing that I thought while I was prepping for this podcast is, well, we won't do picks because well, we got we to milk I this all summer. I just want to say, I mm -hmm. think that in I both categories... Mm -hmm. Okay, go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, you go first. In both categories. I think we're... I think... The things that have been like sort of dominating over the years, like, like specifically Ted Lasso and comedy, I think succession in drama. I think we're going to see some new winners in those two categories. Hmm. I think, I yeah, think, I think early on, I think I might, I think Abbott might win in comedy. That was going to be my shocking prediction. Look at us. We're so in sync. I, I think succession is going to win. I just, the combination of deserving because it is the what you were talking about in terms of the rubber stamping year to year that is the face of quality on television right now um and so i think that will just give it the extra votes needed to to prevail but comedy is wide open um i don't know you correct me if i'm wrong because i don't really want i don't watch it but the ted lasso second season didn't seem to have the same cultural tsunami good vibes as the first um, well, certainly not the good vibes. I think it was a much darker season. Uh, I think that it has its fans, but I think that they were like, I think that it was just a little bit more complicated. And I think that there were some side sort of like side plots that people were like, is this really happening? But, you know, I, we'll see. I, I think Abbott Elementary has a real, 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 real shot. Um, and then 
yeah, we'll go through this as we get closer, as we, you know, I, I look, our listeners know, like people politic us all the time. You know what I mean? Like we pe- people are always, uh, I'm tired. I'm tired of K street though. Like that's, that's the kind lobbying, of what my whole thing is. Yeah. The electioneering. Like, um, I, yeah, uh, but I was trying to look through this and like shout out other, like any friends of the pod that got nominated. Um, happy for Adam Scott to get nominated for, for severance. Um, what if I just started like pretending like Sarah Paulson was a friend of the pod? I would love it. I, yeah. I wish you weren't pretending, frankly. Um, anybody, anything else jump out? Anything else? I mean, I, I found it kind of shocking that, speaking of rubber stamping, that like what is arguably the worst Oscars of all time is nominated for a show, like for, for special. You know, I guess that's for like cool under pressure when the slap happened. I don't get it. Um, but all right, well, we'll revisit. Um, but I, I was just kind of impressed. Like it was such a, it was such a mess, April, May, and June. And I shook out in a way that I think is hard to be angry about. You can certainly feel slighted because there's just simply isn't enough space for everything that people love. But I thought that, you know, I thought in the end it, 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 they did a pretty decent job. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Um, let's talk about Thor. Yeah, we went to a movie. Just you the think two Taika, of us. You think Taika Waititi did a pretty decent job on Thor? Okay, so I'm torn about this. I really want to find new ways to talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Because I do think 
I don't think that this movie was as I don't think I, I I'm not ang- I'm not angry. I don't think it was like rancid or abhorrent or like a problem of the culture. Um, I do think that the uh, do you think it's worth mentioning the circumstances under which we saw it, in terms of like the technical difficulties of the theater that we were in? Well, sure. I, I but I, I just to finish the thought, I just want to say that I do think the guys is Marvel okay takes are absolutely warranted for sure. Um, technically. I mean, I don't know. I was reclining in a pillowy blanket of popcorn. I, I had a great, a great experience. But so here's the reason why I brought it up was um, so the sound was like very low, so we could understand uh, what people were saying and everything. But that feeling that you kind of want when you're in a movie theater, especially if you're seeing a big blockbuster, which is just having your your wig pushed back by the sound and the and the sights, was lacking, and that was fine. But you know, there's Chris, there's kind of like this. You're talking to someone. I took my daughters to see the Minions movie on Saturday, and I don't think they'll ever play in a symphonic orchestra again. <laughs> I have never experienced decibels that loud. That we went with friends of theirs, and their parents are smarter than I am. They brought those headphones that like cool indie rock kids wear when they go see their dad, who's in the oh, national yeah, play. Right, you know, right. They saw they wore those to the last row. Do you think the guys in the national know that the kids they have kids out there? They got kids in every city, man. That's why they're called the national. Um, that's, a, that's a little reported I have no, fact. I have little. That is completely a joke. <laughs> Don't aggregate that. Yeah, for real. Um, but I was okay with the lower volume at my advanced so, age. Uh, the reason why I ask is because I went and saw Top Gun for rewatchables purposes again great podcast and, by the way uh you know i felt like my chest cavity was going to cave in and i was like alone in a movie theater in glendale just being like wow i'm really i'm really losing it did, and it was sort of funny did you like, have your ipad out like bill did or no i didn't you know okay. i i mm-hmm. i actually was getting up i sat in the aisle mm. and i would get up and walk over into the little uh like you know the doorway hutch where it's already light there a little bit and i would type when I wanted to type something out. What people don't know is that when you go see a movie that's still in theaters for a podcast, you basically behave and dress like an old school baseball scout in that you wear a oh, yeah. very, very bright shirt. You wear a Panama hat. You have an unlit cigar in your mouth. And an I have old my radar gun out yeah. just to see how long the scenes are taken. Um, the reason why I'm saying this is because I, I recall a moment uh, a couple years ago. I was, I was in a bar and Goodfellas was on on mute on a small TV above the bar. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I like basically lost my train of thought with the person I was with and just started watching Goodfellas on mute like an asshole. But I was like, you can watch Goodfellas on mute on a 10-inch screen and be like, that's a good movie. Yeah, yeah. And I will say, Thor Love and Thunder without the bombast doesn't quite doesn't quite hit right. You take out the thunder, it's not it's not love. <laughs> it, yeah. So I agree with you. I would love to find like a more elegant way of talking about the issues plaguing these movies and TV shows without being like cranky old man or in my day so, Indiana Jones used to outrun a boulder and that we were happy with that. So here's the thing that I, I that I think I want to start with. I want to start with a question you asked about Taika specifically because Taika is someone who I think is enormously talented and who I have a lot of time for his sense of humor and his approach to things. Um, we just talked about what we do in the shadows and reservation dogs, two shows he executive produces for FX. Um, and you know, he was the tonic that this franchise needed with Ragnarok, which 
was a fantastic movie. Frankly, I just think it's great. Like, not even in the scheme of Marvel things, but one of the few that you could carve out and be like, this is a good time, and it knows what it is. But I want to say that the circumstances, even though that was only, you know, four years ago, I believe, are quite, quite, quite different. Mm -hmm. The Thor franchise, solo franchise, was a joke and an afterthought. Um, People pile on, although there's now a lot of competition, but for a number of years, Thor 2, or Thor The Dark World, was that was the nadir of the MCU. Um, There was no reason for the movies to exist. So you could turn to someone like Taika, who's like, I have a reason for it to exist. He's a fucking space god with a hammer. Let's go and make something bright and poppy and fun. And that was truly kind of surprising and joyful. So that's his MO. What he was, the brief he was handed here is very different. This, I don't even know if we should, this, I'm not saying this in a Martin Scorsese way. I mean this, I do mean this literally, and I'd like you to answer it. Are we, is this a movie? What is a movie now? Because this piece of content had a narration device delivered Mm -hmm. by Taika's rock character, Korg, who is much more popular in his mind, I think, than in the larger universe. Um, It had multiple flashbacks, both the Christian Bale origin story, um, and then a long-running flashback to aspects of the Thor-Jane relationship that was non-canonical, or like that wasn't in the other movies. Sure. Right? Yeah. It it then, it also had like three different plot points, plot threads. There was the Jane has to both get sick and then become Thor and then meet Thor again. Also, the movie could start. It had so many on-ramps that the movie itself felt like a small, like, uh, um, you know, where do the, where do the, the, the people sit, the tower at the airport, like that, that, the like the air traffic control tower. Yes, that's yeah, yeah. the size of the actual movie, where all the threads <laughs> come together, and they're standing in a black and white room with Christian Bale doing Voldemort cosplay, being like, uh, "Maybe choose love, mate." Like, and then, so that's I don't know how anyone does that. And and going into it, I was like, maybe the best way to do something that impossible is to have someone who truly doesn't give a fuck like Taika, and it's just like we're just gonna we're just going to laugh all the way through it and we're going to joke all the way through it and we're going to point at, we're going to hang lanterns on how absurd all of this, um, you know, turn on a dime plotting is. But at a certain point, you're doing so much energy, you're sweating with all this construction to reach a point where you're like, but also because we're laughing or trying so hard to laugh and have a good time that literally nothing matters. Yeah. I, I, it, it, it was bizarre for something to be this labored and inessential. And it was, and it's so different from what Ragnarok was in that regard. I don't think he did a bad job. I think he did a Taika job in an impossible situation. There are certain elements that I think these movies go back to that you're touching on. Like they rest, they, they, like when they need to, they can always do this, right? So they can always have, you know, a diversion subplot about the characters needing to get this secret or sacred totem to be able to do the last fight like you can kind of see the the superstructure of these stories become more and more clear as like the years go on and you've seen 2025 of them you're like okay like i know what this is it's the jj abrams the it's you gotta get the MacGuffin. you gotta get the rabbit's foot and there's also this thing which is like i think the tone that has was started i think by downey to some extent whedon but really exploded throughout the Guardians' success and the success of the Taika 
Thor movies, which is this like nonstop kind of self-satisfied banter. So that the two ways that people communicate in these movies are either jokey, winky, Jim from the office kind of stuff or Hallmark cards. And I think sometimes that works. I think in this movie, it, I, maybe, and obviously we're talking with, with spoilers going forward here with, with Thor. So if you're listening to this segment, I assume you've seen Thor by this point. There's something about the cancer part that just kind of missed for me. You know, like, uh, I, I, it's not that I was like, oh, because of personal experience with this, I don't think it's funny. I think cancer can be anything you want it to be in some ways. But I think you have to sort of like treat it with sort of it's due respect. Uh, and there was something about it where I was just like the entire time, I was like, she's not going to die. Like, not really. You know, like that's not going to be a loss for him that he reckons with. And I think I've gotten very used to this idea that like, you know, we, it's been a long time since you and I, I believe I was like on my couch in Philadelphia and you were on the other line and we ranted like nut bars about Chewbacca not really being dead and how upset that made us because it was like you put us through like basically his like soldier's funeral and then he's just like he's fine uh but I I do kind of feel like nothing really ever matters in this stuff anymore um and maybe it's just because like nothing will ever matter within the context of MCU as much as Endgame or maybe it's because COVID and a bunch of other things that were in and outside of the control of this company happened. And like, they're still sort of trying to get their bearings in a, in a post endgame world and figure out like where they want to go. And they're waiting for X-Men. There's all sorts of reasons there could be for why these shows and movies all feel like they're leading to just another path to another leading to another path, leading to another thing. And they never really feel like they have weight. But yeah, that's kind of where my head was at while watching it. I wasn't not amused during certain points of it. And I, I will say that, like, I just think they left they left the ultimate girl dad, Gore the God Butcher. Uh, really, like, they, they didn't do him dirty, but I was like, you guys fucked up. You should have backed up. The, like, that should have been the villain for the next couple of movies or something. Like, you just kind of dispatched him. As the father of daughters, you know, I really watched this movie a different way. Look, this is, I'm joking, but I'm not joking. I thought the first five minutes were pretty good. Like, Christian Bale, pretty good actor. You know what I mean? Like, I, you have a, a father uh, trying to save his the life of his daughter. I'm in. I'm watching this movie. And you've got me in a very, uh, very tender place. You and, and I hope you earn what you are doing to me. Yeah, but like, why does um, he then walk into this set of like an elf porn movie? You know what I mean? Like, w- like I-, I didn't understand like the tonal shifts there. Like, it's weird, and I don't, you know, I don't know Taika at all. But I, I, I was reading into this movie, which, in some level, is maybe the most impersonal movie anyone has ever made. <laughs> but in the sense that I can't believe anyone would be like, ah, that's my story told there on the big silver screen. But Taika is someone. What I do know about his biography that he does have two daughters that I believe still live primarily with their mother uh, in New Zealand. And he is often making blockbusters in Hollywood or Atlanta or wherever. And this movie was mostly shot in Australia, which Americans like myself used to think of as very close to New Zealand. It's actually not. So the beginning and end of the movie where it's like it actually is about sacrificing yourself for your daughters. Mm -hmm. Okay. I admire that he was like, I have something to hang one of my elaborate 
bucket hats on. You know what I mean? Like that's, and it reminds me of what this industry has become, which is an entire town full of incredibly talented, sensitive, creative writers being like, I don't personally connect with the Mothra origin story, but the scientist reminds me of my dad. So I'm going to write the scientist and that will be how I justify spending my life on this thing and then getting a paycheck, you know, which I don't begrudge. I know this sounds like there's judgment in that. We're all in this economy, but that is what we're doing here. So I kind of, I, I felt those scenes, but the entire enterprise was just otherwise so glib and so hollow and so self-congratulatory that it, it, it didn't, it didn't land. You know what I mean? Like there's just, there really is no there there when absolutely everything is a cutaway joke everything, you know, and I, and I like jokes. I appreciate that. I would rather this than a Snyder cut, but guys, can't we find a balance now? You know, I, I, I don't, I, I'm a little bit lost where the, I don't know who's holding the compass anymore. And I don't know yeah, if anyone is. It, it also, it felt like there were, there's half a movie that was like very labored over and really thought through. And then there's half a movie that was like, LOL. Sure. And I think Joanna and Sean did a really good job talking about this on Big Picture, where it was kind of like the difference between uh, the gore, black and white, and I, Joanna went into detail about this new technology that they used to shoot that sequence, and how kind of evocative and stylish that was. And you know, Sean talked about how like that's kind of like what he wishes these movies would try to do every once in a while is just like take a home run swing because you can throw it in the middle of the movie and not have it be like well. You know, I honestly that if that had been the finale of the film, that would have been breathtaking because that's something you haven't seen before. I've seen the villain versus three heroes without knowing like what makes Gore really powerful other than this sword, like just get it out of his hands, I guess, which is something that they finally re- like understand at the end of the movie. But that's not that much different than the end of WandaVision or the end of anything where it's just like bang, 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 we got him finally. But now we have an understanding of who he is. But, no, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, please, finish the thought. So my, my thought was just to go back to something that you mentioned about like not feeling connected to what you're seeing on screen visually anymore. And I don't know if you caught this, but last week, I think there was starting to be... It was basically off of the back of a, um, I think, a Vanity Fair video or somebody something where it was Taika and Tessa Thompson going through a sequence and kind of jokingly talking about like, I think somewhat tongue in cheek and somewhat self effacingly, but also like it didn't come off great where it was like the VFX and the editing in this is so bad, you know. And there are four editors on this movie and like hundreds and hundreds of VFX people when you're watching because it's like you're so many different to get to houses. The second stinger. Yeah, so many different houses. And there was a bunch of stuff online last week about not the conditions, but like essentially the state of these VFX houses working for Marvel who are like, we are constantly, constantly overworked, trying to make deadlines. And then these movies come out and people are like, well, this was good and that was good, but Doctor Strange sure looked like shit. You know, (laughs) like all the special effects wind up taking all the slings and arrows. And it's like, you know, and and these people are like, well, we're working so fucking hard to finish these things and they're changing things at the last second and those takes weeks to render and we're trying to crash them in and all this stuff. And I, you know, I kind of felt like I could see that in this movie. I could see that in the difference between how one sequence, like the gore, the gore shadow realm sequence looks versus the Russell Crowe sequence, where I was just like, 
am I getting, is it, are you guys pulling my fucking leg? Like, what is this accent? What is this? What are these outfits? Like, why but are also, people... like, look behind Tessa Thompson, which you don't want to do because she's awesome and holds the screen. But if you do look over her shoulder, the chair she's sitting on looks like something made out of, like, construction paper and felt at my daughter's preschool. Right. You can't spend money everywhere and you can't spend thought everywhere, but then maybe you should reconsider what it is that you're you're actually doing here. And look, do you remember, You you I know you remember, when we were kids and there were 100 years ago, and we believed in the Greek gods and they mattered. No, okay. But when we were kids, obviously fewer movies, totally different time. But at the end, if you did stay for the credits, because maybe you liked the song or you wanted to finish your popcorn or it was air conditioned, not because there was a stinger because that didn't exist, you'd be like, oh shit, industrial light and magic worked on this. That's why the water people in the abyss look good because they were the only game in town. Right now, and I am not disparaging the now tens of thousands of dedicated trained professionals working in CGI space all around the world, mostly working on these Marvel things. But it's it is notable and incredible that there's so many technicians. But how many artists are there? That's again, I'm not trying to insult anyone. There I'll can't give you an be example. enough, and, and I don't even know this for sure. Like, so when they walk into Zeus's palace in Omnipotent City or whatever it's called, and like they are like, and it's Natalie Portman, Chris Hemsworth, and Tessa Thompson. Pretty good performers. Yeah. They just are like, huh, cool palace. Like, because it's not there. And no one is like, here's what it's going to look like. And here's how it should feel. And, you know, they're like pointing out and they do the the God of Bow joke, which, you know, is one of those jokes that is like, that's a good whiteboard joke that completely shatters like the moment. You're just like, I just, none of this shit matters. Which you know is the same I mean? like, thing with everything where like the hammers are jealous of each other. I was like, you didn't need to commit to that one. Yeah, I mean, like even the goats, that's a good joke once, maybe twice, maybe even 25 times if you want to do the Will Ferrell dying in Austin Powers thing. <laughs> Which but I love. like instead, it's I, just like, so these goats yeah. are like really useful at dragging so, this. <laughs> so you and I were talking about this. We are now three Marvel movies in a row in which there's a major sequence of space wolves fighting yeah. in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. Eternals, Doctor Strange, and this. Now, get your space wolves straight. Why can't they just be one type yeah. of space wolf? D did the Shadow Realms space ghosts have a different ideology than the space dogs and the Eternals? If you can't think of a better, you know, red shirt, except CGI monster for your characters to blithely destroy it violently because, you know, there's no moral stakes to them because they're made up cartoon dogs. Fine. But maybe don't do them then. And I guess there's also a reason that I don't understand why they have those fights at night. I think it's because it hides mistakes and you don't need to, it costs it must, it much, it probably costs a lot less. <laughs> Let me you tell you do... why. Watch the scenes in the Eternals that happen during the day. <laughs> great, great, great call. That You just answered the question. I'm done. But like it is visually exhausting and it's visually boring at this point, you know. So I wish that there could be some, someone could come in and be like, "Here's a different." They've visual... been doing this since the beginning, though. I mean, like the Chitari. It's not like I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 Chitari, yeah. like those guys, classic no, Chitari move here. But you were like, "Oh, Tom Hiddleston, that's that's fun." Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, I think broadly speaking, it feels like I mean, there's a couple reasons why, and I'd love your. I, I, I want this is a conversation. Like, what is what is Marvel's, what's wrong here? And you know the answer from the Disney shareholders would be absolutely nothing because this movie made $140 million already or whatever it did in its first weekend. But something is is rotten in the state of, of Georgia where they film most of these things. And 
to me, I, I think there's definitely a, there was a cockiness issue that we have cracked the code of how to make movies in a way that are universally popular and adored and we can continue to do it even as we ramp up scale. I think that they were clearly not correct about that. But I think that then there's a secondary problem, which is what story are you telling? For all the celebrated, we're telling one story that's going to culminate in Endgame and then being like, now we can just have fun. Um, you've built these movies not as standalone movies. You've built them as delivery systems for a larger story. And I don't understand what the larger story is or what it could be or even what I want it to be. And I understand why super fanboy water carriers are like, wait till you see the team Julia Louis-Dreyfus is putting together in the end credits of TV shows. And I'm like, okay, a team of Florence Pugh and Wyatt Russell. I can't wait to watch that miniseries on my television sometimes. That's not a movie, man. That doesn't sound that exciting to me. So, but the bigger issue I think is, um, I think that they have gotten confused about the, the vessels and the speed and the nature of the stories that they want to tell. And I wonder if the TV curveball really screwed them up because they were making movies that were, they were made, they were basically making a TV project for the cinema, right? That was the really heralded thing about that Iron Man to Endgame run. Now they're making TV shows that make things smaller and less interesting, but visually exactly the same. And when they announced things like Anthony Mackie, who recently starred in a TV show where he became Captain America, is now going to be in a movie of Captain America written by the same guy, Malcolm Spellman, who we like a lot. What's the difference? What is the... And then you're doing this thing with... You have the comic books that have established storytelling over a period of time, such as the Jane Foster has cancer, is worthy enough to pick up the hammer and becomes Thor, which was a beautifully told story in the comics by Jason Aaron and Russell Dodderman and others. Um, check them out if you haven't you cram it into a five minute thing where Jane Foster has cancer and then like goes to a theme park and the hammer is like, hello, pick me up. By the way, immovable hammer pieces. How'd you get from the purple dead God moon of Endgame to fucking new Asgard if you can't be picked up? Just We've, asking the questions. Just like in general, I, I've given up the ghost in both Star Wars and know, Marvel that like there is any kind of sense of this takes a long time to get here. But that's a great point. But like, so, but do you know what I mean though about the speed and volume of the stories they're telling being put into a variety of boxes now, and I, they don't feel like the right ones to me. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know, and I, I also think that I, I, I don't know. I feel like we are waiting for them to click into gear with something. There's a, there's a Marvel panel at San Diego Comic Con for the first time since 2019, I think, this right. year. So in, a, in, a, in a month or a couple of weeks. Maybe Kevin Feige will walk out and be like, we're going to do Black Panther 2, which we still haven't seen an image from, even though it's supposed to come out in November. Uh, we're going to then move into this kind of like story. Is that story cosmic space opera? Is that story multiverse? Is that story... I, I don't know. Is that story Fantastic Four and X-Men and mutants and whatever else? He like... Here's the, no, here's no the, idea. Here's the but problem, But I don't know Chris. that I don't really, like, I don't think that that changes a certain qualitative issue that's going on with these movies. And, and I, I joked, I made a joke about Raiders of the Lost Ark a little while ago. And, and, and I am fully, like, willing to admit that uh, this just might be, like, people who hate the DH in baseball, you know? And it's, like, at this like point. Me. But there is, like, a, just a, a certain kind of, like, logic and spatial awareness and cinematic kind of, like, uh, feeling of like physical space that 
the best of these kinds of movies can understand. And and Raiders is a really good example. The opening sequence of Raiders when he's going to get the the item and gets out of and and run away from this boulder and from the arrows and from everybody's chasing him. You always know where you are. You always know how hard it is for him to get to where he's going. You always know the challenges that he faces. You always understand the speed at which he's moving and the speed at which something else is moving. And whether it's hot or cold and whether he's in the darkness or in the daylight and whether or not, like all the things that kind of in your brain, actually in a subatomic level, you're like, this is making me feel warm or cold or out of breath. Like you're experiencing this with the characters. And he's got limitations because of who he is. He's just a professor. He can't just pick something up and throw it or do bullet time or hold something and turn into something else, which I think is obviously very cool about Marvel is that like, Ant-Man can wear a suit and be special, even though he himself is not special. But I don't think you ever really get a sense of that, especially in a movie like Thor, which is weird because I did feel like, you know, these, I, I, we've joke about like the fall of Sokovia a lot. Like that was a spectacle. You know what I mean? Like you didn't feel the same way about the, ch- the stolen children of Asgard. No, but like when they drop the city, you're kind of like, oh, okay, like this this feels important and and terrible. And I bet like they have to try and fix this. Like, I don't feel like you ever have like that sense of space and time and feel and texture when not and everybody can kind of do what everybody else can do. And the only thing that really matters is at the end of the movie, like there's some sort of like two beams shot at one another and then the good side wins. I totally agree with that. And I'll say one more thing about the problem that they're facing now. I think the... The wrong takeaway that Kevin Feige and his team may have learned from their massive success was that they fixed movies. They outsmarted movies. They 4D chessed movies. And I think they're wrong. Because what is there to hope for and build for in the next iteration? It seems almost entirely based on fanboy goodwill and imagination. Which is to say, you can tell me it's all going to be about the Fantastic Four and the X-Men, but why should I care about that? And I care about the Fantastic Four and the X-Men, but you haven't cast them yet. I don't know what you're doing with them. I don't know who they are, and I don't know why I want to spend time with them on the movie screen again. Because I'm sorry to say this, Chris Evans isn't walking through that door. Robert Downey, Bob Downey Jr. is not walking through that door. Chadwick Boseman, sadly, is not walking through that door. And for as fun as it was for all the movies to fold into one story, I don't care about Thanos. And I think the majority of the people who contributed to the multi-billion dollar haul don't really in their hearts either. They care about the movie star heroes, Scarlett Johansson, you know, all of these people who contributed to the franchise coming together to stop him. So you get those moments that were the, you know, the goosebump moments in Endgame where they all were there again together, our pals who we have spent time with, who merit the charisma, who have the charisma to merit our attention and our affection over a long period of time. And so what do we have now? Um... I, I guess we have uh, uh, Kate Bishop as Hawkeye. No disrespect, but that's fine. We have Brie Larson. We have, wh- what do we got here? We have, I could say we have Mark Ruffalo, but he's doing double duty on a TV show. You know, it doesn't feel significant or special anymore. So that's the concern I have. Well, there's not even like a kind of, I mean, we're really getting into the weeds here, but there isn't even a storytelling mechanism like Nick Fury happening yes right? well he's he's got a tv show coming secret Invasion, yeah but he's but yes. not showing up in these movies to kind of yeah. be like we have a thing that's on the horizon and i need a group of people to help fight it and here's the state of play with all of this like that was kind of what i liked about civil war and what i liked about winter soldier and what i liked about the 
the Endgame and, and Infinity War was like the sense that they had built up and through and talked about like what how should this group of people be governed? Should they be governed? Are they ungovernable? What's our responsibility? Is it always to, you know, and, and I like that was pretty engaging. It feels weirdly crowded and empty at the same time now. So that that's a good way of like, putting it. Like, 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 do you think Karen Gillan was like dope? Nine hours of my prosthetics so I can be in the background of some gags for this movie. I, I like, I really love the Guardians of the Galaxy. I just, I love those movies. I love the vibe they bring. I, I don't know what they were doing in this one other than I hope cashing a significant check just to dance around the background. Like Bautista has to have his whole body painted for him to be like, hello, goodbye. I don't know. You were, I was yeah. like, I asked you at the movie, I was like, do you think Bradley Cooper spent an hour in the booth for this performance? And you That's said a it was voice a, memo. It was a voice memo. <laughs> He's making maestro, doc. He's I, dressed I up like Elmer Bernstein being like, oh, don't put my thing in your mouth. Like, yeah. It's so it's such a weird moment. And I, I know that people, people grow weary of us picking nits and complaining about it. I, but I'm I will say be, for this one, yeah. specifically, I am pro- the Marvel Cinematic Universe experiment. These movies have given me real joy, not just because I read all the comic books. You know, I love the audacity of the storytelling experiment. And it's exciting to have these different chapters and looks and takes and tries and people getting involved to look forward to. It feels weirdly rudderless, which is a strange feeling. Like I never expected, you and I went to see Captain Marvel together. I think it was the last one we saw together. And I did not like that movie. But I don't remember turning to you multiple times being like, do you think it's over yet? Or do you think it's almost over the way I did with this one? Because then we get to the point where like Thor, who all the Thors can just travel wherever they want, whenever they want. Um, they don't need space goats, I guess. They could just go there. Gives Thor power to a group of children who should be scared, but instead are like, cool, I'll use my stuffed bunny to annihilate space dogs. I, it was so beyond that I don't even know what's happening anymore, space that I, he just it leaves you feeling a little strange and used up. Uh, that's a great place to, because I feel like we both feel used up after I this podcast. I uh, do. Thank you so much to Devin for filling in for Kaya this week. All right, Andy. Uh, so we'll be back on Monday night with our customary Better Call Saul episode. Really looking forward to doing that. In the meantime, I hope everybody has a great weekend. And uh, we'll talk to them then. I can't wait for answers. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.